0: My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flack. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is March 25th, 2016, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about my movie theater memories. But before we get into those memories, speaking of memory, my Commodore 64 has a limited amount of memory and it's not enough to hold all my show notes, so I've had to save those out to floppy disk. So as I load my show notes, that will give us a few minutes to talk during this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Welcome back listeners. I hope everybody has had a good, uh, weekend. It was spring break for us last week. So my wife and I took off of work. The kids were out of school. We went on a little mini, uh, vacation. My, <laughs> I like to say, uh, we went camping. My wife likes to say we went and stayed in a cabin. Uh, to me, those things are interchangeable, but apparently they are not. We stayed in a, uh, a little cabin for a few days that had, uh, satellite TV, and it had wireless internet, it had a hot tub out on the back porch, so that's my idea of roughing it. <laughs> my wife's idea of roughing it would be uh, rolling out a sleeping bag under the stars in the middle of the forest with a bunch of her Girl Scout troop and roughing it. That's not really <laughs> my idea of fun. Uh, so we compromise. We have these uh, little cabin getaways, and and uh, she can go out and hike and go do things, and I can work on... Uh, my blog and and my book and things like that. So everybody's happy. Well, the kids aren't happy. They want to stay home and, uh, watch TV and, but I mean, they could watch TV there too. I don't know why they're unhappy. They're unhappy because they're kids. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I am a, a week behind on my release schedule. Uh, partially that was due to spring break and partially, uh, well, there were two other factors. The first is last week I had to turn in the first half of my novel for my novel writing class. We had to print it out. It was pretty impressive to see how thick, uh, 25,000 words are in paper. It was about 140 pages, I think, which is, uh, that's uh, times new Roman 14 point, which is pretty big. <laughs> I wouldn't normally print something out that big, but that's the requirement and uh double spaced. So, uh, All those pages went into a small box, which is designed for uh, submitting manuscripts and turned over to our professor. So we will find out what she thinks of the first half of our novel. If you uh, aren't following along, I'm sure I will be updating that information over at right.robohara.com. If you are following along, then you, you probably know some of that information. The other thing we did last week was helped my niece, out with her wedding. My niece, uh, Jessica got married. Uh, it was one of those, I think all the, the, the weddings in our family have been this, this type where people pitch in, people help out, people bring food. Um, you know, nobody in my family or my in-laws family is, is rich or well off. So, uh, things like weddings, uh, I don't, I don't know that they are any worse than the big extravagant ones, but they are definitely done on a budget. And, um, Fortunately, the bride's mom, my sister-in-law, used to be a professional cake decorator. So the day before the wedding, she made this giant six-tier cake. It was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and uh, everybody had gone up to the uh, hall to do decorating. And that was a Thursday night. And then on Friday... Uh, Friday morning when we showed up to finish up with the decorating, we found the wedding cake laying in the floor. (laughs) And it turns out the cake was a little too tall with not quite enough support. And the bottom tiers gave way and the top tiers went to the ground. And so we passed around a few secret photos of the cake laying on the ground and someone had to go tell the mother of the bride-to-be that the cake was laying on the floor. (laughs) So... Uh, they did some emergency cake baking and cake decorating, and nobody was the wiser. The, the cake that was served at the wedding and, uh, looked fantastic and everybody you know wanted to know where it was purchased from and and how long it took and Everybody kind of had their uh, lips sealed until after the ceremony so but we were able to pull it off and My niece asked me to be the d j of the reception. This is the third time in my life that I have done this. I did this for, uh, my buddy's wedding and for my sister's wedding. I'm not a wedding DJ. Like that's not uh, something I, I, uh, identify myself as it's not something I, uh, whatever charge for, but on those occasions where receptions are, uh, you know, being held on a, a budget. It it's a a good way to save money. And, and I don't even think of myself as like a wedding DJ. I'm just the guy that provided the music. And so I found this software that I'd used before called DJ mix pro DJ mix pro does all these cool things like beat matching and, uh, and you know, you can set up your playlist and it will fade your songs from one song to the next. And it'll slowly speed up the pitch or slow it down to keep the, the beat the same through the party. So once I had the, the mix, uh, you know, the song list from my niece, it was just a matter of, I built a playlist and, and once we were ready to go, hit play on the laptop, that crossfaded everything. It sorted the music. It was perfect. So it, it, uh, everything worked out and uh, everybody had delicious cake and nobody talked about the other cake. <laughs> so, uh, I had those things going on. That put me a little bit behind on, on uh, my podcast schedule, but here we are, we're back. Uh, I still have. Uh, I talked about uh, Pi ants last time, which is the uh, ANSI display program designed to run on Raspberry Pis uh, in using Python. So it's a almost like Pi, Pi ants. Um, and there were some display issues. Some of those issues have been worked out. Um, so I know the guys are still looking at that. And I got some emails back and forth from uh, listener Wesley Hicks. He Uh, is also setting this up, and he downloaded a whole bunch of art packs and, like I suggested, took out all the adult offending pictures and sent me an email and said he had done that. And I said, great, now that you've done all that work, will you email it to me? (laughs) Uh, And he did. So uh, I just added all those. I I just can't tell you how much I enjoy it. It's like, um, I mean, it's it's the feeling of watching these art pictures scroll by makes you feel like you're connected to a BBS, you know, you're looking at those old, uh, antsy art pictures. And even though you're not really, I mean, you're not on a BBS, you're not interacting with anything. It's just picture scrolling by, but it's just a reminder of that time. Like I said, I do a lot of my work from home and just having that running, you know, on the other side of the desk on a monitor that you don't have to do anything. You just turn the pie on, it boots into this and starts displaying the pictures. It's really, really cool. So I'm I'm really enjoying that. Uh I got lots of feedback from people about their car stereos after episode one seventy two which was all about uh my car stereo and and uh seems like I was not alone in both the experience of buying cheap speakers and and then building up to you know more professional sounding sound systems. I really enjoyed hearing everybody's stories um I probably won't read, read them uh, just because they're – they're uh, some of them were kind of personal and some of them were, uh, you know, long. Uh, but but all of them uh, – there's a lot of things. You know, after I, I published Commodore, I got a lot of email from people, and I still do to this day. And Commodore, uh, this August will be the 10-year anniversary. And that's – I don't know if I've mentioned this on this show, but uh, for the 10-year anniversary, I'm going to be releasing Commodore in – Audiobook format. I know a lot of people have been asking for that by a lot. I mean, you know, four of you, <laughs> well, it's more than that, but, uh, that makes it sound like, you know, people are lined up outside my house waiting for it. I don't know that that's the case. I wish it were. Um, but when people read Commodore, I get feedback saying, you know, I had the same experience. I lived on the other side of the country or I lived somewhere else, or I lived in South America and, I went through the same things calling BBSs that you did. And I think that's really cool that we all, even though none of us knew one another back then, we were having the same experience because we were doing the same stuff at the same time. And, and, uh, the car audio episode reminded me of that. You know, there were a lot of people who said, yes, I had a, uh, and my buddy, Sean, I didn't even know this, said that he had a 10 and he had put speakers in it. I always wanted a little truck like that, you know, like an S10 or a, a Nissan something and, and put a loud system in it and uh, never got around to that. But, uh, yeah, I, I always enjoy those, uh, you know, when people email me and said that they had similar experiences, it's just uh, a reminder that, uh, you know, we're all, even though we didn't know each other, we were all kind of doing the same stuff. So I wanted to give uh, a quick shout out to listener Eric and I think it's Straines Straines maybe. Um, I shouldn't rename all my podcasts, the, uh, butcher of, uh, last names. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, uh, email I got from Eric was, was pretty brief and he had said that his grandfather had passed away and uh, suddenly he said, and he had been spending some time uh, probably driving or some time alone. And he had been listening to old podcasts and listening to old episodes of you don't know flack. And, and he wanted to thank me for putting the podcast out. And I feel that, you know, the opposite of that. I don't, I, I always feel weird when people thank me for doing the show because I thank you guys, uh, for listening to the show over however many years, uh, we've been doing it. I think I started in 2008 actually. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had that same experience. I went on a road trip one time, uh, for work. And I drove from Oklahoma to Washington DC and the drive there wasn't bad, but it was the drive back where I think, uh, uh, Morgan, my daughter maybe had just been born. I mean, she wasn't that old, maybe two or three months or something. And Mason, I think was sick. It was just a time I didn't want to be away from my family, you know? And, uh, I was driving back and I was really bummed out and I started listening to, uh, well, uh one trip I remember very specifically I found throwback reviews. And of course that was long before it was before I even knew uh Sean, my co host on that show, uh, and he was doing it with uh Door and uh another friend of theirs, um, Steve, and uh but it was just listening to these guys talk, you know, and they had several episodes out at the time and I'd listened to all of them And it was just like, you know, it was kinda of comforting listening to some guys talk about movies that I had seen and could relate to, you know, and I've, I've done that same thing. Of course, that was a long drive. You know, it's like 20 something hours from DC to Oklahoma. And I know I listened to a bunch of, uh, episodes of the Retroist at that time. And, uh, I don't remember what else I was listening to, but it was just, um, you know, like, like somebody talking to you and, and taking your mind off of stuff. So I've been there. I definitely uh, can relate to what you're saying, Eric. And, um, so anyway, uh, I'm sure I'm speaking for all the listeners out there when I say uh, condolences, uh, to you and your family. And, uh, anyway, uh, I hope, uh, you know, things, uh, things do get better with time. I know that, um, I guess it was last year. No, well, it was on my, my 40th birthday, uh, that my uncle Joe in Chicago passed away. And my uncle Joe is one of my favorite relatives. And, uh, and then, uh, last year, my grandma, oh uh passed away and we had to do that again the trip you know up to Chicago it's about a 12 hour drive so we drive up to Chicago and hang out for a funeral and, and drive back and uh it's no fun you know and uh it was uh, interesting at work the other day someone asked me they were like so are, are any of your grandparents still alive and I was like yeah my uh, and then I went through them all and I'm like no they're all dead <laughs> and it's like it just hasn't registered. like the answer to that question hasn't registered uh, or been updated in my brain's database, you know, I still think, oh, yeah, I have uh, living grandparents, and then you run through the list, and no, I don't have living grandparents. The last one was Grandma Heroin, she passed away, so, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a bum deal. Uh, we talk a lot in my family about how we've moved from the youngest generation to the middle generation, you know, and, and now we have parents who are aging and kids who are growing up, and it's a, a different role. Um, but, uh, it's not all bad. So anyway, again, uh, Eric, sorry to hear about your grandpa and, uh, just know that, uh, I, I definitely feel, uh, flattered and honored that you would, uh, say that you found uh, any solace in, in this show. And, uh, so I, I appreciate your message. Uh, a final piece of news that I want to announce is I am starting a new podcast and the new podcast is going to be called Cactus Flax. Uh, that is a, uh, pun on a local arcade. Uh, the local arcade is called Cactus Jacks and, uh, it's a, it's a great arcade. Uh, it was around in the the seventies. <laughs> I went to it when I was a little kid in the eighties. It's still around now. They have, uh, changed their focus a little bit on pinball. There are, um, more than 50, uh, pinball machines available there to play. Uh, I mean, all the all the brand new, all the the popular stuff. They have Wizard of Oz and Metallica and uh, Avatar and ACDC. I mean, all the the ones that I see people talking about that are new. Plus, they have some really good classics. Um, but uh, my podcast isn't about Cactus Jacks. When I built my Mame machine. Uh, I I named it Cactus Flax. It's kind of an homage to Cactus Jacks, um, but with the word flack in it. So as most of you know, uh, for many years I collected arcade games and I sat down and made a list uh, and narrowed it down to 50 machines that I owned at different times. And so what Cactus Flack or Cactus Flax, uh, I suppose is going to be is a podcast of 50 episodes. And I'm going to talk about different machines that I own. So, uh, I'll be reviewing the machine I'll talk about, uh, but not just the machine. I'm going to talk about the actual cabinet that I owned, where I bought it, how much I paid for it, if I had to do any repairs. So it'll be a little bit arcade story, uh, stuff like that about owning arcade games. Of course, I'll review the machines. Uh, and, uh, if there's anything interesting about, you know, moving it or when I sold it or anything like that, I'll include that too. Um, so, uh, you can go i'm gonna what i've done is i've split the rss feed on uh, uh com, which is the home of you don't know flack so um i've got different feeds now for categories so there is a category feed available for you don't know flack and another category feed available for cactus flacks i've already submitted it to itunes I've got a few shows in the bag and hopefully iTunes will get it added really quickly. So, um, if you want to, before it's on iTunes, if you want to sneak peek, you can head over, uh, today on Monday and check out, uh, well, if you go to com, you'll see the episodes posted there. And then hopefully, like I said, we'll get a feed added really quickly to iTunes. So if you like arcade stuff and if you like stories about, uh, arcade machines and arcade games, then uh and I hope you'll you'll uh, enjoy that show. That's pretty much uh everything I have for this week's loading time. If you have any feedback about this episode or any other episode of the show in general, you can email your feedback to me at Rob O'Hara at RobOhara dot com. Drop me a message on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore, or leave me a voice message on my podcast hotline which is four oh five four eight six. Y-D-K-F. And with that, let's get started talking about uh, this episode's topic, which is movie theater memories. They say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And I do believe that. I didn't believe that when I was younger. I thought imitation was the sincerest form of copying my stuff. And I do have to say that my opinion uh, of this varies depending on whether I'm the imitator or the imitatee <laughs> I suppose. Um, so it's, it's one of those things to remember, but, uh, this episode is an imitation of Doug McCoy's uh, current podcast. Now, Doug McCoy is a, a prolific podcaster. He has a lot of different shows that he's done in the past. Uh, he does uh, several shows now. He's on a few different shows. Um, You can find all his shows over at McCoyCast.WordPress.com. And I think most of his shows are also on uh, Throwback Network. So you can go to ThrowbackNetwork.net. And there's a category just for Doug McCoy's podcasts uh, under McCoyCast. Now, Doug did a show called Crazy Creepy Cool Movies, uh, where he talked about the shows that he, uh, or movies that he saw in the 80s that were Uh, fell into one of those three categories that made an impression on him. And now he's doing a new show called In the Theater, where he talks about movies that he saw when he started going to the actual theater. And I think one of the great uh, signs of a great podcast, I should say, is when you want to respond to the podcaster. You know, when I'm listening to a lot of Doug's uh, podcasts, I'm usually driving into my car, driving uh, to school and back. I drive six hours a week now. It's an hour each way, and I go three times a week. And I drive uh, an hour at a time, and I listen to podcasts. And the whole time Doug is talking about movies and his theater experiences, I'm I'm saying in the car, me too, yeah, or I did that, or no, I did, I did this differently, you know. So I really want to respond back to it. But obviously, uh, as far as the audio portion, you know, it's a uh, a one way medium, uh, obviously as try as I might the radio, uh, Doug's podcasts that he record, uh, don't respond to me <laughs> when I yell back at them. Uh, so as I've been listening to his show, uh, I've been coming up with my own lists of memories that I have of going to the theater. And I'm not going to talk about movies that I rented or movies that I saw on HBO. Uh, and there are hundreds of those, you know, probably thousands, but, um, what what I put together is a list of memories that I have that took place in theaters and seeing movies uh, in theaters. And so, again, if you want to hear somebody do this better than me, go over to mccoycast.wordpress.com. Check out Doug's new podcast called In the Theater, and you can kind of see what inspired me to do this episode. I don't have enough of these memories to do an entire podcast series but i had enough to do one show so i threw them all together and i've listed a few at the beginning by category and once we get through the categories uh, i'll just go through chronologically um and so i'm not going to review each movie but as i have these memories uh, i'll share them with you so i hope you enjoy uh, hearing them and when i talk about movie memories for me it all starts with Star Wars. Uh, I was born in nineteen seventy three and Star Wars came out in nineteen seventy seven uh, I have a specific memory, very, very specific that uh if you a long time ago, and you have to be my age, probably to remember this, but when you used to walk into i know Walmart did this, there were different places that did it when you would walk in. They would have like a photography guy set up. He would have different backgrounds and, and all the, the lights set up and they would take your picture, you know, when you were a kid or something, and then they would give you a couple of proofs, but then they would try to get you to order more pictures. So my mom would always take us to Walmart and get these pictures taken. And my mom had bought me this outfit. I I think it was blue jeans and a vest or something. Uh, And she wanted me to wear cowboy boots, and I did not want to wear cowboy boots. I was four years old, and despite the fact that I was born, raised, and have lived almost my entire life in Oklahoma, this is the only pair of cowboy boots I have ever owned or wore. (laughs) But my mom really wanted me to wear these cowboy boots, and so she said if I would put them on, she and my dad would take me to the movies. So I put on these cowboy boots, and we went to... Walmart and I had my picture taken and we still have the picture and it's of me in front of like a fake forest background. Uh, and I have this look like I am PO'd and I was because I was wearing cowboy boots, but, uh, that did get me to the movies. And so my parents took me to see star Wars. It was not, uh, opening day. In fact, opening week, star Wars didn't even play in Oklahoma. So this was probably a few weeks after that, but they took me to see star Wars this is one of the earliest, if not the earliest memory I have of going to the movie theater. And we, it's definitely the one that made the, the biggest impression on me. Says the guy who's sitting in a, what he calls his star Wars room. But I was sitting in the, the theater and the lights went dark. We had popcorn. I remember that. And the opening scroll came. I don't even know if I could read or, you know, comprehend the the scroll at that point. I was right about the age of four. But then that opening scene came with the ships flying overhead. They got the blockade runner, Princess Leia's ship, and the Star Destroyer that's chasing it, and lasers. And I was hooked. I mean, that made such an impression on me that, I like to say that scene cost me probably $10,000 in Star Wars collectibles. (laughs) Because, I mean, that's what got me hooked. Uh, And then it opened up to... R2 D2 and C3PO and laser blasts and stormtroopers coming in and Darth Vader and all of it. I just took it all in. It was, uh, it was amazing to me uh, as a kid. I, I still remember it to this day. I am reminded often or not often, but when we talk about it, I suppose by my parents that I fell asleep during the movie and they woke me up when they got to the cantina scene. And that again, made a big impression on me. I was, a a big fan of Rick Baker who made a lot of the masks and did a lot of the makeup. And I think Rick Baker just recently somewhat semi-retired from, uh, the special effects world. But Rick Baker, uh, was known for his gorilla work. He was known for his werewolf. Uh, he did the werewolf effects in American werewolf in London. He did the, uh, makeup in thriller. He has done so many, uh, aliens and zombies. He did, he did all the stuff in men in black. I mean, he, he was still doing stuff up until not that long ago. And so Rick Baker was a, uh, you know, that scene not only got me into Rick Baker, it just got me into special effects and aliens and masks and all that stuff. So star Wars first theater memory and very big impression on my life. Every star Wars movie since then, I have seen on opening day a few of them I have seen multiple times on opening day. So in 1980, that's when The Empire Strikes Back came out. My dad took me to the theater to go see it. I remember standing in line uh, outside the theater, waiting to get in, and people in costumes and things like that. It wasn't as big as Return of the Jedi, but it was big. Um, So I, I definitely have a memory of that. And then we have Return of the Jedi. I did not look this up, but I can tell you that Return of the Jedi came out on May 25th, 1983. And the reason I know that is because the morning of May 25th, 1983, I had my tonsils out. So the night before we went to the hospital and I remember that they were showing V, uh, the television series was on the, the TV in the hospital I spent the night and I had the surgery the following morning at 6 a.m. They took my tonsils out and we weren't that far from Almonte six movie theater, which has long been abandoned and not turned into anything else. I would love if I ever became a multimillionaire, I would buy that theater in a heartbeat, refix it up and show movies to people, maybe for free. <laughs> and I would take everybody's cell phone when they came in. Uh, or if their cell phone came on, I would just shoot them. Or maybe you could put some sort of uh shocking device in the chair. And if their phone goes off, it shocks them. Anyway, uh, so my dad that afternoon checked me out of the hospital and I was supposed to stay that night and leave on the 26th, but he checked me out. I remember he had a MGB, uh, a uh, MG midget, the little car and, uh, it was a stick shift and it shifted really hard. And so, uh, he took me out of the hospital. We went to Sonic and I got a 44 ounce ice water, which was full of ice. I couldn't talk. My throat was just on fire. And I sipped on this ice water over to the theater. We got in line and the line wrapped around the theater. And, uh, that was the crazy showing people with lightsabers, people in costumes, uh, and people, you know, as the movie, uh, you know, we finally got inside and as the movie's playing, I specifically remember when Luke is about to walk the, uh, jump off into the Sarlacc pit and he grabs onto the board and flips up and R2 shoots the lightsaber and he, uh, turns the tides, and he attacks all the, uh, the skiff guards and I, people just went nuts. People were standing up and cheering and screaming and clapping. And it was the, one of the most fun, uh, movie premieres that I've ever been to, but it was opening day, 1983. And I, I, um, uh, I guess this is related to that, but you remember the Scholastic book report or the book club that we used to be in, in school, they would have it and you signed up and you could order books. I, I they still do book clubs. It's a little different now, but I I got the book for return of the Jedi and, uh, it, they were always, I don't know if they were sealed or something, but when I brought it home, And I showed it to my dad and he flipped through it and he said, well, you can't read it. Uh, and I was like, what do you mean? And, and, uh, of course, you know, it spoiled all these things It had Yoda dying and I had Boba Fett dying and all these, uh, you know, plot things that were getting revealed to Darth Vader, of course. And so, um, he, you know, took it away from me and didn't let me, he wanted me to experience it in the theater and I'm glad he did, you know. But, uh, yeah, so I definitely have strong memories about the first three Star Wars movies. I'll talk about the other movies later on when we get to them, uh, chronologically. Uh, another category I have is school movies. Now I remember we moved to the school district that I would, uh, attend for my whole career right well, the summer before I started kindergarten. Uh, but during that summer, before we moved, I there were some neighborhood kids and they had taken me to a different school. We had walked down to the school to play at the playground. So I would have been, you know, still four years old. I hadn't turned five yet. And we walked down to the school and the school was having like a free movie day during the summer. And we uh, went in and they were showing the seventh voyage of Sinbad. Uh, There were, I don't know, three or four Sinbad movies. They're all, all the effects were done by Ray Harryhausen, who, uh, is famous for his stop motion. Uh, he he learned under oh gosh what's his name I think it's William O'Brien the guy that did uh, Willis O'Brien did uh, the original uh, King Kong stop motion and he learned the the art from him uh, Ray Harryhausen has done tons of of great stop motion work all the Sinbad movies he did uh, Clash of the Titans all the stuff that was in there um, but I I just have this memory of going to the the theater or not the theater it was like the the gym. And they were showing movies. And I remember thinking that's what school was going to be like. (laughs) Like you would just go to this big room and they would show you movies. Uh, so I was really looking forward to starting school. That's not what it turned out to be (laughs) later on when I went to school. Um, but, uh, through elementary school, we would have movie day from time to time. I don't know. I'm sure they still do that, but the, the technology behind movie day was much different, um, this would have been probably in the uh, late 70s, possibly the early 80s. Uh, and they had an actual film projector that they would set up in the middle of the gym and all the kids would go there. And and uh, usually it would be like days that you couldn't go outside, like during recess because of weather. So you always took your coat. Uh, otherwise, your tailbone would be killing you after two hours of sitting on the, the cafeteria floor or the gym floor. Uh, but I remember... I don't, they must've had some deal worked out with Disney because we watched the Apple Dumpling Gang, uh, probably both Apple Dumpling Gang movies. We watched, um, both of the Witch Mountain movies, Escape from Witch Mountain and Return to Witch Mountain, which are, um, I, I love those movies. I know it's cheesy entertainment, especially Return uh, to Witch Mountain is a really good movie. Uh, and the Herbie movies. I know we watched Herbie, you know, so, so that's, um, some of early, it's not really a theater, I suppose, but early, um, movie memories, watching those movies at school, uh, on an actual film projector. Now, some of my earliest movie memories take place at the drive-in. And I think there were at the time two or three different drive-ins around the Oklahoma city area. There's one that's left and I have some memories of that. Uh, that are more recent. I'll be talking about those later, but my parents were a big fan of the drive in. My dad drove a 1975 Chevy blazer, uh, the blazer, the back, well, the whole top of it comes off. So it's not just the back that would be what you would think like over the bed of a pickup, but even over the cab. So it was like a convertible pickup and the whole thing was carpeted. And we had these things, we just called them the big pillows. We had four big pillows that were in our living room normally. uh, And uh, we would throw the big pillows in the back of the blazer and go to the the drive-in and stay. Now, I specifically remember seeing the following movies uh, at the drive-in. And these were all roughly the same era. I saw Tron there. I saw Dragon Slayer. I saw Time Bandits. I saw war games. I saw star Trek, the wrath of Khan. I remember the scene of the, the little ear worm thing that he puts in the guy's ear to eat his brain or whatever. Um, the black hole I remember seeing at the drive in. And I remember seeing ghostbusters. So those are all movies that I remember seeing. And a lot of those I saw on the same night. Like I'm sure that I saw, I think time, uh, bandits and Tron on the same night. Um, it seems like maybe Star Trek and the black hole. I know that the dates don't really line up and maybe they show like one old one and one new one. I don't know. But, uh, but I have lots of great memories of going to the drive-in and, and I have gone to the drive-in since then, like I said, and take my kids and, and I even had a birthday party at a drive-in, uh, about five years ago and we had a good time. So I was a big fan of the drive-in. The problem with the drive-in is the same problem that I have with theaters today, which is people are rude. Uh, so I, I'm pretty ADD. It's hard for me to focus on a movie. If people are flashing their headlights or car alarms are going off or all you can smell is people smoking weed. Uh, and the other thing is when I watch movies, I love great sound, you know, and now most, uh, drive-ins, I think all drive-ins, uh, broadcast, you know, over an FM station so you can listen to it in your car. But even then, uh, sometimes it's hard for me to to hear the dialogue, and not uh, not get uh, distracted by the things going on around the car. So, but yeah, lots of good memories uh, at the drive-in as a kid. Um, another category that I wrote down here is radio contests. Now, as a kid, especially during the summer, I was a a big night owl. Even as a little kid, I would stay up till 11 o'clock or, or even midnight, even long after my parents thought I was asleep, I would stay in my room and, and read or listen to music or whatever. Uh, I was always a night owl. I'm still am a night owl. I hate mornings. <laughs> I love staying up late. And what I found out during the summer is I could stay up really late. Like I could stay up till three or four in the morning and the radio stations would have, you know, things where you could dial in and win concert tickets. But the thing was, is that nobody else was dialing in in the middle of the night. And I had one of these eighties phones that had, um, you know, redial on it. And it had, it was one that had like big giant buttons. <laughs> I remember that. So I would dial, you know, the local radio station and then you could just hang up and hit redial, hang up, hit redial. And there were times where they would say, they're going to take the 10th caller. And I would be most of the callers. They'd say, sorry, you're caller number one. Please try again. You're number two. You're number three. Maybe I'd be five. You know, somebody else was dialing in. Um, But I used to win a lot of movie passes to go see movies. The first ones I ever won was to the movie Space Camp. And that was a uh, a movie. I think it was 85, I want to say. And that was a movie where, uh, maybe 86, where... Uh, a bunch of kids you know accidentally get launched into space and uh uh you know silly kind of movie but so I don't really remember the movie that much but what I remember is that I got to go to it for free uh, so that was a a big deal and then I won tickets to go see Revenge of the Nerds 2 Nerds in Paradise. Now that's kind of weird because I have to look up the rating of that. I it must have been PG-13 and not R uh but I won four tickets and, uh, so my whole family went, my parents went and me and my sister, uh, and there's now when I watch it, like, I wouldn't let my kids watch that movie. There's some jokes in there that are a little raunchy. It's not as bad as the first one, uh, which had a lot more sex. Uh, but the, the second one, like I remember uh, there's the one thing where they go to the hotel Coral Essex, which has their name and neon lights. Uh, and they short out part of the lights to uh, have a party. So instead of. Hotel Coral Essex it says hot oral sex. <laughs> and um anyway, now I, I mean I could imagine that my parents were cringing, you know, in the theater with us uh my sister and I sitting there watching this with them. But I I was a kid, I didn't, you know, get any of those jokes. What I do remember is that there were people that had showed up in costume. So there were all these girls that were dressed as nerds and were walking around pushing their glasses up and acting nerdy. Uh, so I remember that being kind of funny. Uh, I also won tickets to go see gleaming the cube, which was a big deal for me. I know I won other tickets, but these are the ones that stand out. Uh, gleaming the cube was a big deal to me because uh, I was really into skateboarding at the time. And this was the Christian Slater skateboard movie. And, uh, a lot of times you won extra stuff and I won a long sleeve t-shirt that said gleaming the cube on it. And I got a movie poster plus the tickets to go see the movie. So that was a, really exciting deal for me. I think I remember a few times winning tickets and then not even going to pick them up because they would be for movies. I didn't really particularly want. And if you won movies, you would go on a list where you could only win like once a month or something. There was some sort of rule. So if it was a movie that, uh, that I didn't want to go to, I just wouldn't go pick them up. You know, I, I don't even know why I dialed in, I guess just cause I was a kid, but, uh, Yeah, so radio contests, uh, going to free movies, that was a big thing. Now, uh, I'm gonna switch over and just go chronologically, and, and I, I used Google. Some of these stories came to me when I sat down to write this outline. Some of them I had to go through Google and look at movies that were released by year to see if I had any, uh, you know, any memories popped out at me. Uh, but starting around 1980, uh, there were two movies that I saw that I remember seeing in the theater. One was Flash Gordon. Uh, that made an impact on me. Of course it was very spacey. Uh, you know, I was into star Wars and, uh, so Flash Gordon, I thought was cool. I didn't know how much Star Wars had been influenced by Flash Gordon at the time. Um, but my dad was uh, always a fan of queen. And so that was, uh, I don't know if that was part of the draw, but hearing the the songs that were performed by Queen in the movie there's also a scene in that movie where uh there are these um i guess they're androids um and they are looking for Flash Gordon and they have these goggles that are attached to their face and someone tries to pull the goggles off the guy's face uh just thinking that they're they're like goggles but when they do, there are wires exposed inside the guy's head and it basically, you know, shuts him down and he's, he's like terminated. And, uh, I don't, don't remember that being scary to me at the time, but I remember that night I had a nightmare that my eyeballs fell out <laughs> and it, this is the first time I had a nightmare that I, where you do a fake wake up. So I had a nightmare that my eyeballs had fallen out. And then in my dream, I woke up and I was like, my eyeballs really did fall out. You know what? I was running around, which is funny because I could see myself, uh, you know, it's one of those dreams where you can see yourself like as a third person, uh, and my eyeballs were on this table and I couldn't find them. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it'd be a whole sitcom, me and my eyes. Um, so Flash Gordon and then, uh, Popeye uh, was another movie that, uh, we went to go see in the theater. I loved that movie. I think that's one of those movies. There's lots and lots of movies where if you have a nostalgic attachment to a movie, you like it. And if you don't, you don't like it. Uh, but I do, I, I grew up watching that. We got it later. I think it was on HBO and we taped it. Um, but I love, I have several songs from the soundtrack on my phone right now. I mean, if you're in my car and it's on MP3 Shuffle, there's a possibility you could be uh hearing And He's Large as sung by Olive Oil. Uh it could happen. So yeah, Popeye was one that uh that we really enjoyed at the time. I'm sure there were others, but those are the ones that stick out. 1981. I have two movies written down, one is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I did see all of the Indiana Jones movies in the theater, uh, but this was the first one. This was the first time I saw Harrison Ford as somebody besides Han Solo, uh, to see him as another character. Um Raiders of the Lost Ark was another one like Star Wars where there was a television special that showed all the special effects and the making of which I had taped off of television, and that made me like the movie even more. And there were little bloopers they pointed out, like there's a uh military truck, the one that's about to run over Indiana Jones, he fires his gun. Uh, and the, the truck hits a, a mound or something and tips over and then explodes. Uh, but if you look, they packed inside the truck, a telephone pole and packed it with explosives. So when they set it off, the telephone pole shoots out the bottom of the truck and that's what tips it over. And you can plainly see in the movie when the truck is laying on its side, a telephone pole sticking out the bottom of it. Uh, so, you know, there were things like that that just made me like movies even more. And that was, you know, today we go to the IMDB trivia section and read all the trivia at one time. But back then you had to put some effort, you know, either you bought the trading cards and you read the backs of all the cards that got little trivia facts or, um, or you watched these types of specials. The other 1981 film that I remember seeing at the theater was Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. Um, I haven't seen it in recent years, I know Doug talked about it on his podcast, so I don't know how well it stands up. It stood out to me because the special effects, uh, again, Ray Harryhausen and his stop motion work, uh, he did the stop motion Medusa. He had stop motion, uh, scorpions. I think they fought, um, there were, uh, but the big thing, uh, of course of the Kraken, you know, that's giant monster that would come out of the sea. Um, but more than that was the toy line that came out that was associated with Clash of the Titans. And it was the same three and three quarter scale that Kenner was using uh, for their Star Wars thing so they could interchange. Uh, I have sitting on my, I have a a, a shelf of non-Star Wars uh, figures. I have some, um, a lot of uh, Fisher Price adventure people and a few other figures. And one of them is the, is Charon the uh, guy that would uh, take you across the river sticks for a coin. So you had to put a coin in his bony skeleton hand and he would row you across the river sticks. And that's from clash of the Titans. Uh, and so I had that figure. I still have it. I had a lot of the figures and I lost them over time. Uh, there was Calibos and, um, and I know that I had uh Pegasus of course, the winged horse and I had the Kraken. The Kraken was huge. It was probably, I don't know, Um, it was definitely taller than the the 12 inch Star Wars figures I had. Maybe it's, it's 14 or 18 inches. Um, it's pretty poorly designed. There are some fins in the front that snap into place that always seem to get loose. And when they would fall out, uh, he wouldn't stand up anymore. And of course he had the forearms. Uh, I have looked, that's one of the toys uh, that I would like to replace someday, you know, just because I think it'd be cool. And I look online and they go for anywhere from, a uh, hundred to $300. And it's not that cool. I mean, it's cool. But it's not that cool. Uh, so I am currently cracking uh, but someday I would like to, uh, to purchase that guy and put him on the shelf. 1982. I have three movies. The first was E.T. I think everybody who was alive in 1982 saw E.T., Um, I may have even seen it multiple times in the theater. I remember my dad, uh, taking us to see E.T. And when we left, he said he didn't like it, which I find amazing. I thought everybody loved E.T. But of course, uh, 1982, I would have been, you know, nine years old. So maybe that had something to do with it, but I loved everything about E.T. Um, I loved Reese's pieces and I loved aliens and I loved UFOs. So what was their, not to like I liked riding bicycles you know so uh ET was the movie for me I was a a hero in my classroom because my dad worked in a print shop and I had bought a ET coloring book and my dad took it to work and made copies of all the pages so I was like a ET coloring page dealer like I would go to school and hand out uh these pages and even I gave them to the teacher and the teacher would hand them out this is third grade and let people color ET pictures or whatever and I was hot stuff uh for having my ET connection. Uh I went to go see <laughs> This is a funny story, you'll like this. Uh a friend of mine, Andy Smith, uh mostly I think after school he stayed with his grandparents. Uh and his mom lived on the other side of town, but uh so and his grandparents lived on my street. So we have been friends. Uh we're not really friends anymore. I mean, we're not not friends. It's just he moved away, and and uh, we we see pictures of each other's kids on Facebook, I suppose. Um, but I always liked Andy Smith. He was and uh, gifted with me, and uh, he was super smart, super funny, and we liked all the same stuff. We liked Star Wars. We liked the Muppet Show. Um, we loved Legos. So so he was uh, definitely a kindred spirit in my life, and his grandpa decided one day he was going to take us to the movies and he was going to take us to go see Mega Mega Megaforce is a fairly terrible B movie at best. Uh, but Andy and I wanted to see it because of the scene that they showed in the trailer of the guys riding jet motorcycles, which, uh, of course reminded us kind of of Tron, but this was like jet motorcycles out in the desert, you know? So we went into the movies and, uh, it was me and Andy and his grandpa, and I. I said something like, "Well, I heard this has good special effects, so she would. We should sit in the middle." And his grandpa, who was, uh, I always felt like he was mean to me, uh, <laughs> but maybe he was just kind of a crotchety grandpa, um, said, "Well, we're going to sit here, but you can sit wherever you want." And I thought, "Well, then maybe I will. Maybe I'm going to move over, you know, back a few rows and sit in the middle." But before the movie started, I went to the bathroom. So I walked out of the theater and went to the bathroom. And when I came back, I sat down and I saw Harrison Ford. And I was like, I didn't know Harrison Ford was in this. And I started watching the movie and I watched Blade Runner. So I had walked back into the wrong theater. And of course I had told them I was going to sit by myself. So nobody ever came looking for me and I I don't remember if one movie ended. I don't remember how this story ends. Like, I don't remember if they came and found me. I think maybe at some point I left and figured out I was in the wrong movie or something. I'm not sure. But, um, but yeah, so I saw Blade Runner. <laughs> I saw most of Blade Runner and the ending of Megaforce. So I do seem to remember that I went back into Megaforce towards the end. So maybe I didn't stay, uh, for the whole movie, but, uh, uh, so I remember that's a, a theater experience where I saw some of Blade Runner and some of Megaforce. Uh, I also remember that year going and seeing The Secret of Nim. That was the uh, Don Bluth animated movie with the uh, educated rats uh, that were experiments from NIMH. Uh, Don Bluth did Dragon's Lair. Of course, you, you probably know the name from that. Um, but what I remember about this was that I went with uh, my other friend Andy and Andy had a little brother and I guess we didn't want him to go or it was a late night movie or something. So I remember we went to Andy's house and we and Andy left but his brother was asleep and so we were like having to be quiet and we went and saw the movie and came back at night and for some reason we went back into Andy's room or something but I remember that his brother was still asleep. and we So it was like we had snuck out even though, of course, our parents had – had taken us to the movies, but, um, uh, it's just one of those weird stories. I remember that event much more than I remember the movie, uh, The Secret of Nim. 1984, I have three movies here on my list. The first was Cloak and Dagger. I don't really have a good theater memory of that other than, of course, that movie impacted my life to the point where I adopted the name Jack Flack as my BBS alias, uh, in 1984, and i am still using the name flack and my license plate says flack uh so uh it made an impact on me but that's one where the the movie uh was a bigger impact on me than the than the experience i don't remember uh you know anything that big about the theater experience but i do remember the movie uh 84 is karate kid uh and i was taking karate at the time And so they did a – we did this every now and then where we would do these public uh, displays, like an expo. Um, And so we would do these demonstrations. They would have us – we did one at the fair one time. And they scheduled us to go to the mall and do a demo outside of the Karate Kid. And based on that, we got Karate Kid T-shirts. And it was a T-shirt that had the Karate Kid logo, like the crane uh, you know, over the chest area. And, uh, it was a muscle shirt. I remember that. And I wore it a lot. Uh, so I got a karate kid t-shirt and then we got to go see the karate kid. So that was pretty cool. And I don't remember if we changed clothes or not. I might've watched the karate kid while wearing our karate outfit. Kind of seems like I did. Um, <laughs> which would have made us look like really big fans of the Karate Kid. Look at those guys; they really went all out for the <laughs> Karate Kid debut. Uh, and finally, in 1984, on Thanksgiving, we went to go see Supergirl. And there's a reason that I remember that movie and that day. The oven in our kitchen growing up had a timer. Uh, but the timer didn't work right. So you weren't supposed to use the timer. And so for Thanksgiving, uh, we had my grandparents or my grandma from Chicago and other people over, and my mom had put in the turkey and my grandma started messing with the timer. And my mom said, don't use the timer because it doesn't work right. But apparently after we left the room, my grandma set the timer anyway. Well, what happens is the timer doesn't move. And so the oven never kicked on. So I don't know what time you put the turkey in eight in the morning or something like that. But I remember around 11, everybody started saying, shouldn't we be smelling the turkey by now? And my mom went to go check and it was ice cold and sitting raw in the oven and the oven had never turned on because my grandma had messed with the timer. So we weren't going to have Thanksgiving lunch, but we might have Thanksgiving dinner. So uh, and, of course, everybody was getting hungry, and there all the kids, like cousins were there and so my dad said, "All right, we're going to the movies <laughs> and so this was not a tradition of ours to go to the movies on um I know a lot of people go on uh Christmas go to the movies or thanksgiving, but we never did that that wasn't you know that those were always family days uh for us, but we went to the theater on Thanksgiving and saw Supergirl. <laughs> I very specifically remember. Uh, watching that movie. Uh, I I don't remember a lot of great things about that movie, but I remember the bad guys hideout was like in a haunted house or a fun house type thing. And I always thought that was uh, pretty cool. Every time I go to uh, a fun house, like when you go on these dark rides, I think they call them. And I always look at like the little exits and things and think, I wonder if there's bad guys like that's a hideout in there. Um, But uh, yep, that's why we saw Supergirl or more importantly, that's why we saw it on Thanksgiving day of 84. In 85, um, I got to go see Back to the Future. I've told this story on Adventure Club Podcast, but if you didn't hear it, I will tell it here. Uh, I went to go see Back to the Future, and it uh, uh, was—I liked it. I mean, I think all kids in in, uh, 1985 liked Back to the Future. And so we did this thing uh, at school. We did a project where you had to write a letter to a celebrity— Uh, and so we, everybody had to write their things and I wrote mine to Steven Spielberg. I wrote him a letter and the teacher said, you should, uh, say something in the letter to get their attention, you know? And so I said that I had seen back to the future like 46 times, (laughs) which is crazy. Can you imagine going to the theater and watching a movie 46 times? I probably had seen it twice. Um, but I said that I had seen it 46 times. And so they wrote me a, I got a letter back and I got a package and uh, they it was on Back to the Future Stationery, which I that part was very cool. And I don't have the letter anymore. I don't have any of the stuff they sent me unfortunately, but uh, they talked about what a great fan I was. and then they said, uh, Steven Spielberg is walk, working on a new movie and they sent me a, a uh, I think it was a polo uh, shirt. Uh, for the new movie and to be sure to tell my friends about it. Uh, and the new shirt or the shirt was for the color purple (laughs) and, uh, which I had no idea what it was going to be about. And so I had this polo that said the color purple and I would wear it around school and people like, what is that? And I would say, Oh, it's only the new Steven Spielberg movie that's about to come out, you know? And I, had no, I was like, I think it's about purple aliens. I'm pretty sure that's, uh, what it's going to be about. And it turns out that was not what it was about. And I think after the movie came out, I quit wearing this shirt. Um, but that's what, uh, if you're a kid and you write a pen pal letter to, uh, Steven Spielberg, that's what you're going to get a color purple polo. Uh, 1985. This was a, uh, a funny memory. My buddy, Andy Smith, Again, I had spent the night at his mom's house, which was, uh, on the other side of Oklahoma city. And, uh, she asked us if we wanted to go to the movies. So we said, okay. And so she took us to the movies. And when we got there, silver bullet was showing us silver bullet was R rated. This was in 1985 and I was 10 and I think Andy was a year younger than I was. So he was nine. Uh, and so we walked up to the box office and his mom had dropped us off. And we said, well, we want to see Silver Bullet. And he said, that's R-rated. We can't let you see it. And so his mom got out of the car and starts yelling. She was like, what's the problem? And the guy said, I can't sell you tickets. You know, An adult has to purchase them. And so she bought three tickets, one for her and one for Andy and one for me. And as we walked in the door, I turned and looked and I watched her throw her ticket on the ground and get in the car and drive off, which I'm sure the box office guys saw too. Um, but they never stopped us from going in. So Andy and I went in and watched silver bullet. And in the first scene, I think, uh, there's a guy that gets decapitated or something. (laughs) We were like, Oh yeah. Uh, so, uh, big memories of watching silver bullet and just having that feeling like we were getting away with something. Like we were watching something we shouldn't uh, be watching. 1985 was the year Pee Wee's Big Adventure was released, which I sat down one time and tried to make a list of my top 100 films of all time. Uh, I think it's pretty tough to do. I think after the first 20 or so, then you're just kind of listing movies you like. It's really hard to say, do I really like this one? Is this one really number 34, this one number 35? I think the list is still out there on RobO'Hare.com. It's uh, one of the links at the top of the um uh, WordPress site. I, what I was going to do is write a mini, like a one paragraph review of each film, and I never got around to it, but the list is there. But uh, I'm pretty sure Pee-wee's Big Adventure is in my top 10 movies of all time. It was a movie that I, to this day, know every word to uh, and do uh, <laughs> Pee-wee Herman impersonations. <laughs> I'm meant to do that. And so, um, and I still use phrases uh, that are in there. Uh you know, whenever somebody used to talk, I would say, is this something you can share with our SFS Amazing Larry? Um, <laughs> um, you know, so that movie made a huge impression. I was the right age at the right time to see that movie. Uh if you haven't seen it, Pee-Wee's Big Holiday was released last week on Netflix. I gave it a review on Reviewmatic. Uh that's review-o-matic.com. Uh, i didn't love it. I thought it was um at kind of a reboot slash remake reimagining homage uh to the original and it 's not as good um and i people don't want to say it 's not as good because they like Pee Wee Herman and I love Pee Wee Herman. I love the character of course Paul Rubens is a genius uh and I hope that this movie i hope enough people like it that uh, they make more Pee Wee Herman movies and they take the character and, and do something new with it, but it's literally so similar to Pee Wee's big adventure. Um, but without the catchphrases and the funny bits, that's my opinion, but Pee Wee's big adventure at the time was fantastic. You know, years later, I went on a tour of, uh, Warner brothers, I believe it was Warner brothers. Yeah. Backlot tour. Uh, and we got to see the lake that Pee Wee Herman, uh, swung across, um, when he was on his bike with the vine. Uh, and we got to see the little corner set of the studio that was the pet shop where he rescued the snakes from. And of course, when you're driving around the back lot, you're driving around where that the big chase uh, sequence takes place at the end. And uh, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, but Pee-Wee's Big Adventure was uh, uh, a great movie. And the last one that I have here is Spies Like Us. I didn't see spies like us, but I was supposed to see spies like us. So these neighborhood kids, uh, started saying, Hey, you want to go see spies like us? And and we would get one of our parents to take us and one parent to drop us off. And there were about six kids, I would say six or seven kids, including me. So somebody's parents took us, dropped us off at the theater. And, and the plan was my dad would pick us up and bring us home. So, uh, They took us to the theater. Somebody's mom took us to the theater, dropped us off. And I thought we were going to go see spies like us as their mom drove off. Everybody said, all right, let's go. And so that was not the plan. The plan was we were going to roam the town for two hours or the length of the movie and then come back to the theater and pretend like we had been there, uh, for, uh, you know, the whole time and fool my parents who were picking us up. It would have been nice if they had let me in on this plan beforehand, so the, the other parent drove off and we stood there in line. And when they were gone, we left. We went to, uh, Hardee's and, uh, bought drinks. And there was a TCBY, I think that was the name of it, the yogurt place. And we walked around and when it was close to time, we all went back to the theater and went inside the lobby and then waited for, uh, you know, people to come out and walked out and my dad was there. I'm almost positive that my dad knew what we were up to. Uh, my dad is early to almost everything. And so, uh, he was asking me questions like, so how is the movie? What was your favorite part of the movie? Those sorts of questions that you ask kids when you know that they haven't seen a movie. And I was quiet the whole way home, you know, and then when we got home, he asked me some question like that. And I said, we didn't see the movie. It wasn't my idea, you know, and I, and my mom said she was going to call everyone's parents and I was like, Oh God, that's like the worst. Like, please don't be the parent that narcs on everybody. That would get me beat up so many times. So they let it go. Um, but it was definitely one of those things that I was not in the planning. I just, uh, was made aware of the plan once it was unfolding. (laughs) So I didn't see Spies Like Us for many years. I enjoyed the song. The song was a big hit, uh, but I had never, uh, seen the movie. Uh, speeding up a little bit here in 86, I saw three amigos. I don't really have any big memory of that other than I think that's another movie that we saw multiple times. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of the jokes, uh, from that movie worked its way into our, uh, vocabulary, vernacular, whatever you want to say. Um, you know, anytime <clears throat> someone would say, you know, oh, I had a lot of people come to my house the other day, you would say. Would you say you had a plethora of people? And I definitely remember breaking into dance and singing My Little Buttercup in the halls of the middle school. So Three Amigos is a big one. The Boy Who Could Fly. This was a movie that um, my buddy Jeff and his friend Andy, I had a lot of Andys in my life, uh, talked me into going and seeing. I did not want to go see this movie, The Boy Who Could Fly. This was the first time I had ever gone to a movie where we were literally the only people in the theater. It was literally the three of us. And the movie was so bad and so boring that at one point Andy stood up and he said, I'm the boy who could fly. And he put his arms out like uh, airplane wings and just started running around the theater going. And so then we all started doing it. Um, and nobody ever came in. I mean, it was just the three of us. So we were all the boys who could fly. I remember, uh, there was like a little mini kind of stage towards the front and we would get up on that and jump off, uh, and get on the chairs and jump off. Uh, and I'm amazed that nobody heard us from outside, but we were all that day, the boys who could fly. I could not tell you a single thing about that movie. Uh, I, other than it was uh terrible and boring, uh, 1987, uh, big movies, a few memories, uh, I went and see, saw the, uh, Lost Boys. Lost Boys was one of the scarier movies I had seen, uh, in the theater, but also the big thing about that movie was the music angle. I think that's one of the first movies that based on the movie, I went and bought the soundtrack for, and I found out there were bands called Echo and the Bunnymen and, uh, I think that's who did the cover of, uh, people are strange. And there's a lot of good songs on that, uh, on that soundtrack. So I'd bought the soundtrack from lost boys. Uh, but that was one that I saw in the theater, uh, adventures in babysitting. The only reason that movie sticks out to me, it was okay movie. You know, it's a, one of those movies where the people are lost in downtown. Um, but it takes place in Chicago, And so my dad took us to go see that because he's from Chicago, obviously, and he would point out different places. Like I know where that's at. I know where that's at. And of course the, um, big climax takes place. I forget the name of the building, but it has the big sloped roof on the top. And my aunt works right next to that building. And so when we would go down to downtown Chicago, they would always point out that building and say, that's the adventures of babysitting building, (laughs) which it was. Uh, so I thought that was cool. Uh, I went and saw the gate with my buddy Jeff and that there's a few scenes. Uh, it's a horror movie. There's a few scenes in there towards the end that are pretty scary, but what stuck out more than that was, uh, that the, the two kids in the gate looked exactly like me and Jeff, uh, the main kid. I looked exactly like that kid, uh, close enough. Uh, but the other, the tall skinny kid with the big glasses, that's exactly what Jeff looked like. And so we always thought that was weird that we had gone to a horror movie to see kids that looked just like us, um, that we were worried about, uh, uh getting killed. And then Jeff and I also went to go see batteries not included. That was another one where we, I know it was a Spielberg movie. And so we went to go see it and it was not, uh, what we had thought. Although we were not the boys who could fly that day. We did not, uh, jump around. 1989 was the year Batman came out. And that was uh, the first like super big blockbuster that I remember since Star Wars or, or Return of the Jedi. I mean, it had been a few years. Taco Bell had all these promotions where you could go get plastic Batman cups. I had all those cups. I probably still have those cups somewhere. Um, and the other thing was everybody had to have a Batman shirt, but I didn't want to go spend big money on a Batman shirt. So I went to uh, the flea market and bought this really cheap Batman shirt. It was just white and had the Batman logo on the front, but, you know, obviously a, a knockoff. And the day before the Batman premiere, I washed a load of laundry and I washed it with a pair of red shorts and the shirt came out of the laundry pink. So I was the only person at the Batman premiere in my hometown wearing a pink Batman shirt, <laughs> um, but there I was. So, uh, and I remember there being lots of, I, I was never a comic book guy, but there were comic book people, uh, at that, but it was, there was more than that. I mean, it was, wasn't just comic book people. It was everybody was into Batman, uh, at the time, you know, but, uh, like I said, I, I don't remember crowds like that since the, the star Wars movies, but that made a, uh, a big impression on me. In 1990, which, uh, I think this was probably the beginning of my senior year. Um, Edward Scissorhands came out and I took a date. And this is the first movie that I took a date to. Um, and of course, Edward Scissorhands, uh, is the Johnny Depp, Vincent Price, Tim Burton movie. Um, and I remember being so touched by this movie. I bought an Edward Scissorhands shirt that not, not beforehand, but later I bought it just eh, one of those kind of like retro cool kind of things. And I used to wear it. Uh, this movie made a big impression on me. And, uh, when the lights came on at the end of the movie, I was literally trying not to cry. Like I was like, my, my lip was quivering and I was trying to hold it in. And I looked at this girl and this was a girl I was just had a huge crush on. And she said, that's the dumbest movie I ever saw. And I thought, this isn't going to work out. (laughs) Like I knew it right then. She didn't like Edward Scissorhands and she was not the girl for me. That is not why we broke up, but, um, couldn't, did it play a part? I can't say maybe a little bit, not really. She dumped me. <laughs> but I was laughing. Now I'm doing podcasts in my Star Wars room. So take that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's a very nice girl. And we follow each other on Facebook. Like I do with all my exes. Cause uh, I don't know why. And retrospect, that's kind of creepy. Um, 1991. <laughs> we've got uh, silence of the lambs. I don't really remember other than uh, just seeing it on the big screen. And, and I guess that's a good example of, a movie that has a different tone in the theater versus watching it at home. I think when you watch it at home, it's not that scary of a movie. When you watch that in the theater, it was intense. It was very intense. Um, Especially, I mean, not just um, the psychological horror, but the end where they have the night vision goggles and stuff. And, and uh, Clarice is, is walking around. It was very uh, scary movie in the theater, you know, and that's something I miss of the, uh, movie experience—you just don't get that at home. I don't get that at home. Nineteen ninety-one. I also went and saw Boys in the Hood uh, with a coworker of mine. We went to go see it. We were into rap music, as I talked about in uh, the last episode. We went to go see Boys in the Hood, and the very first statistic was about—it comes up with a, a statistic about how many black youths have been murdered. And we were in a theater, and I'm pretty sure we were the only two white guys. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to get killed. And then it comes up with another statistic and says most of those people are killed by other black youths. And I went, okay, it's not us, folks. (laughs) We sat back up. I was like, oh, we're good. We're all buddies here. We're we're not the ones. We didn't do it. Um, But uh, that that movie, uh, of course, that was the acting debut, I guess, of Ice Cube. And uh, uh, that was just a really good movie. And that uh, was one of those movies I had never been – to California. I've only been to California once now, but, uh, you know, seeing all these places like Compton and LA, what it was really like. And I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there, but, um, you know, the, the view on the ground, uh, and w- what those people's lives were like was, was kind of eye opening. Um, I'm going to run through some of these that I don't uh, see. I don't really have a specific memory of Terminator two or Wayne's world. Those are movies that I saw in the theater. Um, 93 was Jurassic Park. Um, mostly I just remember being amazed by that film, seeing the dinosaurs on the big screen. And, um, that was the first movie where I think, uh, Terminator two, to a certain extent, but, uh, Jurassic Park was the first movie where I could not distinguish where the special effects ended. Uh, and where the real actors began. And I always cite the the T-Rex scene where it's tearing apart the SUV. Uh, and the, the quote I always say is, you know, I know the T-Rex is not real. I know the actor is real and the Jeep I've got 50, 50 odds on, you know? So it was just, you couldn't tell where the special effects ended and where the real, uh, began. So Jurassic park, the film didn't make as much of an impression on me as the special effects did that really, that and Terminator two, I think ushered in the world of CGI into films. I mean, you know, there had been CGI before that. Um, the, uh, the morph sequence from uh, Willow, I think always comes up. So there had been CGI before, but that was where I thought the old way is dead. Like after that, I thought nobody's going to do stop motion. After seeing, you know, these CGI dinosaurs, it was just too good. 93, uh, they opened a different drive-in and my wife and I started going to the drive-in. Of course we were just dating at the time. Um, but I remember we went to a double feature and we saw in the line of fire and menace to society (laughs) In the line of fire is a Clint Eastwood movie where he's trying to, I think, keep the president from getting assassinated and menace to society is a gang movie. And let me tell you what. That drive in theater changed about 10 o'clock. I mean, all the people that were there for in the line of fire left, and all of a sudden it was lowriders and um, people I did not feel safe being around. And we ended up leaving halfway through because the people were yelling, uh, and uh, it just we didn't feel safe, so we we left. Uh, but that theater would always have weird combos of movie. We went uh, 94. And we saw a double feature with Beverly Hills Cop 3 and Blue Chips starring Nick Nolte. Uh, another weird combination of movies, but I definitely remember, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3, uh, and laughing a lot at that. Also in 1994, Halloween night, the theater in our local mall had a showing of the original Faces of Death. Now, <sighs> Let's talk about Faces of Death for a minute. I am i don't know if you've seen Faces of Death or not, and there are at least five, six, seven different Faces of Death movie and then tons of knockoffs and things like that. Faces of Death was the original shockumentary that supposedly contained footage of real people getting killed. So that was the draw. It has come out that faces of death is not real. And you could go online that they've actually, they've done interviews with the director, um, you know, and they talk about how they did different things. And, uh, you know, there was the scene where the guy gets eaten by the alligators, I think. And there's the, a, a satanic ritual where they eat the organs of some girl. And they, of course they joke about it. They're like, Oh yeah, that's all just food coloring and, and whatever. And then there's the Uh, of course the scene, the, the, maybe the most famous scene where the people go to the restaurant and eat the monkey brains and they talk about how they made fake monkey brains to eat and stuff like that. So most of it is not real, but it has been intermixed with footage of things that are real accident victims and, and autopsy victims and people being, uh, cremated. And that it's just not for me. It's not for me. Um, you know, the, the stuff that's fake, that's presented as being real, whatever, I, that doesn't bother me, you know, but seeing dead people, it's just not entertainment for me. You know, I, if we watch a, uh, not to get on a soapbox, but, but the, uh, the horror genre over the years has changed. Um, and you know, when I see like seventies type horror, uh, you know, I, I like those movies and even eighties horror uh, the early, you know, slasher films and stuff, especially the ones, you know, like, um, April fool's day or slumber party massacre whatever. Um, it, it, those are, uh, they're, they're my, they're candy. You know what I mean? They're, they're cotton candy type movies. You watch them, you enjoy them, uh, and you get rid of them. Uh, and even some of the stuff in nineties and, and, you know, there's, there's so many different types of horror, uh, that, um. Uh, you know, you can't just say horror. I mean, there's Japanese horror and there's psychological, uh, horror and there, there, you know, so, but if, if the movie has a good plot, I mean, and I'm thinking of things like, oh, um, the ring, uh, you know, uh, something that has a plot or what. like I, I enjoy those types of movies, you know, uh, even the original saw, I thought was good, but when they got to, I think Hostel. hostile was the cutoff for me. I was like, this isn't for me. Like just watching people get hurt is not for me. And definitely watching real footage of people being hurt or maimed or killed or you know, after footage, after those things have happened is not for me. I'm not saying that there's not a market for it. Obviously there is, or they wouldn't be making them and they wouldn't be selling those things. But For me, there's so many other things out there to enjoy. I just think of all the movies I haven't seen yet in my life or all the books I haven't read. uh, And um, I'm kind of getting on a soapbox here. I need to get through this list because this episode's going on too long. Um, But uh, uh, there's definitely, you know, like I said, a market for that, but I'm not that market. And so uh, I'm sure I had seen Faces of Death before that. But when we went to the theater and just watching that stuff on the big screen, it really turned me off uh, of, you know, all that stuff. It was just not, uh, I don't know. I felt like guilty and sick to my stomach watching it on the big screen. And so, uh, that, that cured me of wanting to see any more of those, uh, types of movies. 1995, uh, there were two quick memories. One is of the movie Hackers. Uh, obviously I identified with Hackers and being a hacker, um, not to the extent of, you know, like these people that were going to jail and doing things. But I was always on you know, the Commodore days. We were always doing things that would probably get us in trouble. And same thing with the PC d- days, you know, and of course, uh, uh, I had gone into the the PC world and we were doing all these crazy, uh, things. And so 1995, I mean, would have been around the epitome of that. And, uh, of course all my hacker friends didn't look like the people in the movie hackers, uh, none of them owned rollerblades in real life. Uh, and all my friends had a lot more pimples, uh, and long hair and did not look like they had come from fashion magazines. Uh, but it was a, a, a silly movie, you know, I mean, as far as movies go, it was, uh, I think there's a, um, how did this get made episode about, uh, hackers and that's a, a, a pretty good episode to listen to. They really pick it apart. I also remember seeing uh Mortal Kombat, a coworker of mine and I went after work to go see Mortal Kombat um I was big into video games and arcade games and and um I had not seen uh what is it the Bruce Lee as a game of death? I'm not sure which one it is, but you know when I saw that I even saw that recently, and I was like, "Wow, Mortal Kombat is literally a remake of that Bruce Lee movie." Um, but I, I enjoyed it and, uh, you know, it was campy and the people that, that were railing against that movie, I think they kind of missed the point of a mortal Kombat movie. It was, it was entertaining and I, I enjoyed it. Um, in 1996, uh, my wife and I moved to Spokane, Washington for a year and a half. And that was the time when the star Wars movies were re-released, the special editions. I went and saw all those, um, I was not thrilled with what they had done, you know, putting job of the Hutt back into, uh, you know, star Wars. And that was weird. Uh, and empire strikes back. I don't remember it being too offensive, but return of the Jedi, uh, they changed the two musical numbers. They changed the job of the hut, uh, scene with Cy noodles. And they took out the, uh, Ewop yub nub song, which was, uh, I love that song. It's ridiculous that they would do that. So I wasn't too happy with that. But uh, of course, those movies coming into theater also coincided with the uh, power of the force figures being released. And that's a whole nother story. But uh, I so I do remember going to the theater and seeing each one of those. In fact, those may have been the only movies that I saw in a theater for the year and a half that we lived in Spokane, Washington. We moved back in 98 and in 1999, Uh, We got hooked up with some, uh, like a a telemarketing kind of thing where they would call you and you would review, uh, give your your feedback on modern music and movies and things. You just press the numbers into your phone. And when you did it, when you completed it, you would get a free set of tickets. And we got movie tickets for three different movies. The first was Lake Placid, uh, which I really enjoyed. I know people say that movie doesn't stand the test of time, but I... Again, maybe it's, uh, you know, looking at it with a uh, nostalgic, uh, rose tinted glasses, but I liked the original Lake Placid and you had Betty White who was you know, actually feeding the, the, uh, alligator. Um, but we went and saw that. And then we went and saw Wing Commander, which I was excited about because I enjoyed the Wing Commander games for the PC. And I don't think this was very good. And the last one we did was Battlefield Earth, which I believe still has a one-star rating. It's one of the lowest-rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and after that, I thought, boy, this isn't worth it. Why are we <laughs> doing this to go see these rotten movies? And so that was uh, the last one that we saw. Later on in 1999, we went to go see The Blair Witch Project. Um The Blair Witch Project was a wonderfully marketed movie. You know, people didn't know if it was real or not. People thought it was real. It started the um, uh, found footage film uh, onslaught of movies, those handheld jiggly type movies where, you know, the people uh, were killed supposedly, but they found the, the footage later. We went to the opening night of the Blair Witch project we had seen there was a sci-fi special uh documentary before that was a fake documentary we didn't know that at the time uh talking about the history of the Blair Witch legend we went to this uh theater and there were six of us and the only seats left were in the front row i hate sitting on the front row of a theater but that's what we did um and then uh, of course at the end of that movie you have the jarring ending where they they see the blair witch and then the footage cuts off and that movie everybody left the theater and it was like 50 people standing on the sidewalk outside the theater discussing theories did this happen what do you think about this what I'm like complete strangers standing around discussing the blair witch project um so it was uh it was a very unique experience where uh, you know, people, and people were still arguing, was it real? Was it not real? <laughs> it's kind of just goofy now looking back on it, you know, but, um, uh, but that was, uh, a big controversy at the time. Then we have episodes one, two, and three of star Wars. Those were released in 99, 2002, and 2005. Uh, I remember when the original trailer for episode one leaked, Uh, and I downloaded it. This was back in the days of real video. Do you remember that where they would, you would download, uh, you know, I don't know what the resolution was 200 by something or whatever. It was terrible. And I watched it at work and I started crying when they showed Yoda. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Yoda. And I was just choked up. Uh, and so I did, uh, well, I should tell this story that they, uh, Uh, said that they were going to start selling tickets, I think at 6 PM. So we, uh, my wife and I took a break from uh, work at lunch. We went to down to the local theater to see if we could find tickets. And the line was like a mile long. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of people in line and this was at noon and they weren't going to start selling tickets until 6 so we, I really wanted to see it opening day to keep the tradition going, but there was no way, you know? And so we were leaving and we were driving by the line and someone yelled my wife's name and we looked and it was a friend of hers from church and they were fourth in line. And so we, we stopped the car and we went up and, and, uh, you could buy up to 10 tickets and they said they were buying six so they could buy four more tickets and, they said they had been there since eight in the morning. And I said, have you had lunch? And they said, no. I said, I will go to McDonald's right now and buy you lunch. If you will buy us the other four tickets. And he said, sure. So we went to McDonald's. I bought, um, you know, a bunch of big Macs and fries and stuff and went back and, and he was there and I think his girlfriend was there or maybe his buddy or something. I don't remember, but there were two people. And so we bought like four burgers and giant drinks and all this and dropped them off. And, and, uh, so that's the guy that bought me my tickets to Star Wars episode one, and we got them later and we went, uh, at the midnight showing. And then the next day we got tickets for like the four o'clock showing. So I saw it twice technically on, on opening day. And that was a movie that, uh, I loved. I absolutely loved episode one. And it wasn't until, you know, the sheen wore off and Jar Jar got on my nerves and the whole plot, you know, of the Republic blockade and all that, you know, just, uh, after a while it sunk in that it wasn't the best movie. But when I saw it, it, you know, I guess I, I, took away the good parts, you know, the Darth Maul battle and the, and different things like that, um, at first, you know, so, uh, and then we saw episode two in 2002 on opening day and episode three. Now episode three in 2005, I took my son we went to a late night showing, uh, and I, you know what? That's, that's not true. I went to the midnight showing, uh, with my wife and my dad. And then we went the next day and I took my son and he was, uh, three, three and a half. And I, uh, uh, maybe four and a half and, uh, yeah. Um, just doing some math here. And I, um, the part where Anakin falls into the lava and gets burned, I covered his eyes. I was like, don't watch this, you know. I was really I thought that might be too much for him. But I let him watch everything else. Um but uh yeah so that episode three continued the tradition. You know, I had seen other than the original Star Wars, I had seen every Star Wars on opening day with my dad. And so episode three I saw at midnight with my dad. And then the next day I saw with my son. So that was uh, kind of the, the transition there. 2005. I also took, uh, my son to go see King Kong along with my nephew. Uh, I had not seen, uh, King Kong before I took them. And I believe this was actually may have been before, uh, episode three. <clears throat> so, First mistake, if you're going to take a three and a half, almost four year old kid to go see a movie, don't pick a three hour one. Uh, and number two, I had no idea that, uh, King Kong wouldn't show up until hour two. So I got two kids with me and the whole time they're asking me, where's King Kong? And I'm like, I don't know, but I wish he wouldn't hurry up and get here. (laughs) Um, and, uh. That scene, um, you know, where the natives show up and there were several scenes in there that were way too scary, uh, for the kids, you know, the natives, uh, showing up and attacking them, the scenes with all the giant worms and bugs. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of regretted taking two little kids to go see that. But, um, uh, he remembers it. He remembered it for a while because he had nightmares for like two weeks. My wife was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for uh, taking him to do that. 2007, uh, I saw one really good movie and two bad ones. Uh, The first was No Country for Old Men. I was really into learning about movies, how movies worked, how screenplays worked, how plot works, and I loved that movie. I thought it was a really good uh, film as far as character development went. I saw it with my wife, and she said that was the worst movie she had ever seen, so she did not— uh, share my opinion, but I really liked that movie. Uh, but we also saw that year we saw the mist. Uh, my wife and I went to that and I was excited to see that because I had read a Stephen King, uh, book, the mist. And so, uh, I sure liked the end of it where he shot his kid or shot the kid in the head and everybody shot themselves the minute that the cavalry showed up uh, to save them. So possibly the worst ending in cinematic history. I don't know. It's got to be top 10. Uh, absolutely awful <laughs> ending, uh, to a movie. And then there was, uh, the bridge to Terabithia. And I had no idea that this was based on a book or anything like that, but we had seen a trailer for this and it was looked like, um, you know, Lord of the Rings light for kids. Like there's a fantasy world and these kids go and they fight in this fantasy world. It looked like, um, the lion the witch and the wardrobe to me so i took my son to it and i'm going to spoil this if you haven't seen it but um bridge to terabithia is about two kids that go play down in this you know in this forest and they have an imaginary friends and imaginary battles and one of the kids uh gets killed and so the whole it was like uh, my girl it, the whole rest of the film is about the guilt that this kid has and that his best friend is dead and i was like oh i really wish i had known that's what this movie was uh, about, and I wouldn't have brought a six year old to see it. You know, who's like saying, Why is she dead, daddy? I, I don't know. Let's go watch King Kong again. That was much better. <laughs> uh, in 2008, the Warren Theater opened up in Moore, Oklahoma. The Warren Theater uh, at one time had the largest uh, IMAX theater and they had the loudest THX certified theater. It is a wonderful. Movie viewing experience uh, location. If you want to see a blockbuster movie, you go to Warren Theater. Uh, we went to go see Tropic Thunder, which is not a classic um, movie to go see there. Uh, that, you know what? I have this great memory of that movie. Uh, of course, it's a a movie about guys making a movie that end up in a real war. They're making a war film, but they end up in the middle of uh, combat. And there was a, this theater, I mean, tickets in the balcony are like 20 bucks and it's one of those theaters where they have upstairs in the balcony are, um, uh, love seats and you can order dinner and things like that. And so, I mean, it's not cheap, you know, it's definitely a place where you want to go for a date, uh, or something like that. And so my wife and I were there and, um, uh, <laughs> there's a guy and he has drank so much alcohol He was drinking in the bar before the movie, and they actually have a two-drink maximum. They don't want you, you know, getting blitzed in the theater, Uh, but this guy was already drunk, and he is standing up and screaming like, that's what you get from America, and he's yelling, and I'm pressing the call button, and the people are like, oh, can we get your refill? I'm like, you got to deal with this guy. Like, we paid so much money for these tickets, you know, and they moved us, but there's nowhere to move i mean you're in a theater you're in a balcony area so no matter where you are you can hear this guy and then uh eventually they did escort him out but that's my memory of of tropic thunder is is the drunk guy uh who was in front of us we also saw the day of the earth stood still there the remake with Keanu reeves and and um that's what sold me on that theater there's some some bass uh, when the UFO is landing and stuff and it shook the whole place. I I mean, it shook my stomach, which hadn't happened in a theater in a long time. Uh, and, um, I, uh, uh, I really enjoy that. So if there's a A-list movie, that's where I try to go see it. Uh, we also went and saw Cloverfield. Uh, we didn't see it there. We saw Cloverfield in my little local theater and there were only four of us. Uh, I thought Cloverfield was going to be like the biggest, hugest movie and we went to a late night showing, like a 10 o'clock showing, and it was my wife and I and uh, another couple who were about three rows behind us. So uh, we are sitting, I don't know, five or six, seven rows back in the middle and then uh, stadium seating. And then about three rows behind us, uh, you know, as another couple. And Cloverfield starts off with, um, you know, handheld type footage and shaky cam Uh, and I told my wife, I said, this is giving me a headache, you know? And my wife was like, yeah, me too. And then right after that, we heard somebody spill their drink. I mean, you could just hear it go like that, you know? And I was like, oh, it's the other people, but great, you know? And so then I, I kind of looked around and they were leaving and then the girl threw up a second time. So it hadn't been her drink. She had just gotten such a headache from the the shaky can that she threw up in the theater. So uh, the good news is that we had the theater to ourselves for the rest of the night. The bad news is it smelled like uh regurgitated popcorn and, and soda the whole time. So, um, but uh, yeah, we went and saw Cloverfield. We also went on vacation uh, to Galveston, Texas and uh, Morgan. My daughter was, Oh gosh, two and a half at the time and was really fussy. I think she was sick. And so my wife said, why don't you take Mason to go to a movie? This is the only time I can ever remember of being on vacation and going to a movie. And that was when Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull was out. So, uh, I took Mason to go see it. We watched it. I thought it was dumb. Uh, that's that. (laughs) I don't have great things to say about that movie. It was too much CGI, you know? And, um, Uh, Indiana Jones, if you watch like the making of, of the original Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's all these original stunts that were performed by people. And I felt like the thing where the scene that made me mad was Shia LaBeouf, uh, going through the CGI forest with the CGI monkeys. And I thought it was a slap in the face to the original film where all these stunt men, you know, where they do the thing where he slides underneath the truck and he's being drugged by the, you know, he's got his whip wrapped around the, either the bumper, the axle. And, um, you know, he's being drugged by the truck and there's the stunt where, um, he rides the, the giant, uh, uh, statue where it breaks through when they're inside the well of souls and those type of things that were actually performed by stuntman. And I just thought it was kind of insulting to the, the heritage or the legacy of Indiana Jones, the spirit of the original film. So that, that was my opinion. Um, we're almost done here, guys. I've got, uh, five or six left in 2009. Uh, we went back to the Warren theater to go see avatar. That was the first 3d movie that I had seen there. Um, and so this is a funny story. We, we sat up in the balcony and there's the scene where all the, um, I think they were the Navi or something. It's been a long time since I saw that, but, um, they're all like gathered in the forest and they're like things that are up close and things that are far away. And then all of a sudden there's like a, uh, a person, And they're really close, you know, and I was like, this is amazing. Like the footage looked really good. Um, But then it turned out it was the waitress bringing me a drink. Uh, And so, you know, I thought it was part of the movie, but then when I realized it was a lady, I jumped, (laughs) I was like, ah, (laughs) like that. And um, anyways, (laughs) it was funny. Uh, But I, before that, I thought these are great effects. (laughs) It turns out she was not a Navi. She was a uh, waitress. Um, We went and saw Up. That year I took the kids. Uh, I watched the first 10 minutes of, of Up. I think that's the saddest 10 minutes uh, that I've ever seen in a film. I'm sure people know about it now. But it, it's a 10-minute flashback running through a couple's entire life. And, you know, it changes. If you watch the first 10 minutes of Up, it will change the way if you ever see an old person by themselves again in the grocery store uh, or the mall or something, it will change the way you see those people. It did It did for me. Um, in 2009, we also, that's the year that we had the, uh, birthday party at the drive-in. They were showing a triple feature. It was district nine, which I thought was really good. Uh, I really love the effects and I really love the whole story the comparison with the, you know, aliens from outer space and, and aliens coming into the country. Uh, and then, uh, G I Joe was one of the films and I could not get into it, but the kids were wallering around and. And, um, I've never gone back and watched it or any of the other films. I I don't know if they're any good or not, to be honest with you, but, um, you know, that's a, I guess a good example of the experience ruining the film for me. I've never gone back and watched the film just because, uh, I couldn't, uh, get into it there in the theater. 2010, uh, they opened another theater near me where they didn't open it. They kind of reopened it and redid it. It was the, uh, uh, AMC theater at the mall. And they added, that's when they added all the um, reclining seats and reserve seats. And, and my buddy and I went and saw Piranha 3D, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, but to me, that was um, I, what sticks out to me in my mind for that viewing experience was uh, other than the Warren theater, this was the first time where like a normal theater I had gone and they had upgraded everything, like the seats all reclined and, and uh, you know you have the little automatic button to make them recline and go back and and big cup holders and and um, it was like a, a an attempt to get people to come back to the theater. That's the way I saw it. Of course, we had Netflix and Redbox and all these other ways to watch movies at home. And so that really uh, uh, was something that you know I thought that was an attempt to get people to get back into the theaters, and it kind of worked. I mean, I enjoy that. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be Uh, you know, scooped up or sitting right on top of somebody else. So, um, uh, yeah, that was uh, a good effort on their part. And then uh, 2013, uh, and this is uh, next to the last one, uh, we had my 40th birthday party. My wife planned it, and what she did was at the Warren Theater, they have a room called a director's suite. They have a few of them, and you can actually, it's a smaller theater, and you can rent the entire theater, and so that's what we did. Uh, or that's what she did for me. So she invited, uh, I think, you know, however many of my friends, I think it seats either 24 or 30 people. It's a slightly smaller screen. The the movie was super loud. I loved it. Uh, and we saw, uh, Elysium. Uh, and one of the plot points of that is that there's a lady, it's like all the, um, uh, the rich people uh, live on the planet and the poor people live in space or maybe it's vice versa. I don't remember. But, um, but one of the plot points is that they're trying to, you know, the poor people want to go to where the rich people are because they have all this technology. There's a lady and her, her kid is sick with cancer and she wants to get to where the technology is to, to, um, cure her, her child. And uh, some friends of ours, their son had been diagnosed with leukemia and they hadn't done anything for a while, but we got him to come out of the house. Uh, and to come to my birthday party. And so we watched this movie and I was, I felt so bad. I had no idea that that's what the movie was about. Um, and of course, I mean, you can't control that and they didn't feel bad about it, but I, I felt bad about it. Uh, so that really sticks out to me. But, um, I tell you what, I hate, uh, I just, I was just talking about this on a a forum the other day. I hate the way people act. Today and movies. Um I, the way I was raised, you stop talking when the previews start. And I know that there's a lot of commercials and stuff before now, but the previews are enjoyable to me, you know, just like the movie. So, um, you know, when the previews start, you stop talking in a loud voice, you turn your phone off, you put it in your pocket. Um, if you have got stuff that's gonna be loud, food that's gonna be loud when you open it, you open it before then, and then you be quiet and you watch the movie. And, you know, it just, the way that people watch movies today, it just drives me crazy. My ADD takes over and all of a sudden I can see this guy on his phone and this, these people talking and this kid standing up and this person kicking a chair and I just can't focus on the movie, you know? So, uh, I really enjoyed that experience of the director's thing, because first of all, it was all my friends. Uh, so, and all my friends know I'll kill them if they're on their phone <laughs> during the theater. So, uh, so it was really, really enjoyable. Can't afford to do it all the time. I think, uh, it's about 10 bucks and you basically rent every chair you pay for every chair. So whether it's 24 or 30 chairs, I mean, that's the price times 10 bucks, you know, but, um, I mean, as far as parties and then uh, of course you can order food and drinks. They, they do all that stuff in there. So it was um very, very enjoyable movie experience. The last one that I have for you, and I'm sorry this episode got so long, I didn't realize it was going to be this long, uh, was star Wars episode seven. Now my family and I had gone on vacation. Uh, we were, uh, if you recall, we were on our way to our Hawaiian cruise and, uh, the cruise was leaving the same day that star Wars episode seven was coming out. And I told all this on the other episode, so I'll just run through it. But we ended up seeing it, uh, in Los Angeles across the street from uh, the Chinese theater, uh, at, uh, El Capitan, which is owned by Disney and I had my kids with me, my wife with me. And this was the star Wars movie that people had been waiting for for a long time. And I know it's not perfect. It's not, it's not great, you know, but it's the star Wars movie we got and people were there and people were there in costume and people were outside with their lightsabers lit up and people had Yoda backpacks on. And guys dressed as Darth Vader were being interviewed by local news. And there were hundreds of people wrapped around this, this, uh, building. Some were waiting to buy tickets. Some like us already had our tickets and we went to the the opening show. And when the star Wars logo came up, people stood up and cheered and applauded and cried and everything. And my kids clapped. And I thought this is, um, this is full circle, you know, this is, how I felt the way that they felt is the way I felt when I went to, uh, those early star Wars movies, you know? So I don't know that theaters are going to survive the way that they always have. Uh, I talked about the rudeness of other people. Uh, I know they have, you know, the, the theater, it's kind of like the the gas stations, you know, gas stations don't make that much money off of gas. They make it off of the things that they sell you, uh, while you're getting gas. And, um, movie theaters are the same way. They don't make that much money off of the ticket sales. They make it off of concessions and, and things like that. Um, and with, uh, you know, Netflix and, and, uh, I, I have half a dozen ways to stream movies, uh, into, uh, I have a, a downstairs, I have a 70 inch TV upstairs. I have a 55 inch TV with, uh, movie reclining seats and surround sound stereo. And it's, it's just hard to get me out of the house to go pay a lot of money to put up with other people not, you know, watching movies the same way I enjoy watching movies. So I I don't think that you get the same experience at home, but it's a trade-off. You know, um, I I can pause it if I have to go to the bathroom, (laughs) we can make our own snacks, which saves a lot of money. And I don't have to have somebody kicking my chair from behind. Uh, although, Occasionally I do end up with a cat on my head, which almost never happens in theaters. So anyway, I, I haven't talked about any of the movies that I saw on VHS or HBO. These are all memories of mine that I had going into theaters. Uh, I also left out all the the kid movies that we've seen over the year, like Shrek and Despicable Me and the Lego movie and things that we took the kids to. Um, none of those things, you know, those were things that we took the kids two for them to enjoy. So the the theater experience didn't make an impression on me. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Again, if you want to hear somebody do this in a much more succinct and logical and organized manner, go check out Doug McCoy's uh, latest podcast. Uh, You can find him over at mccoycast.wordpress.com or on throwbacknetwork.net. Uh, and his, uh, latest show is called in the theater and, and, uh, he's going month by month and sharing his memories as well. So Doug, thank you for inspiring me to do this episode. And as always guys, thank you for listening and uh, I've got some pretty cool stuff planned coming up in the near future. So, uh, that's, uh, wraps up, uh, these movie theaters that wraps up another episode of you don't know flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash You Don't Know Flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through ThrowbackNetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 themed podcast, Sprite Castle, at SpriteCastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at ThrowbackReviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at ThrowbackNetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.